Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We will actually get to this passage in a while, but we have been looking at... uh, A study of the apostles molded by the master we took several weeks to look at how he called them and the preparation and then last week we began looking at individual apostles we began last week by looking at Andrew uh, the Simon Peter's probably younger brother since he's always identified by his brother and Peter is identified by his father but this evening I would like us to consider Peter Probably the most familiar of all of the disciples is Simon Peter. Our initial perception of him as we're introduced to him in Scripture is that he is a man of significant contrasts. He's outspoken, he's impulsive, he's brash, he's often overeager. He's the first to commit, but there's also situations where he's the first to leave that he's a a man who shows great confidence, even bravado, in saying that he would never deny Christ. And then when questioned by a servant girl, he cowers and denies Christ. And so we, we see in Peter, he's a man of paradox. But with all of his flaws, and they are evident, he can never be accused of having a cold heart. He's a man of paradox and passion. He he has a love for the Lord, a passion for the Lord. And in many ways, he's unstable, but under the Lord's tutelage, he becomes a rock. That is his name. Peter reminds us that the Lord is able to mold and shape us for his glory and his goals and for our good. There was a a little poem written that I think is a great reminder, and we see it in, in Peter, but it's a reminder for all of us. There's nothing in a man that's perfect. There's nothing in a man that's all complete. He's nothing but a big beginning from his head to the soles of his feet. When we see Peter, that's where he is. He's at the beginning. And and we're, we're going to see a lot of things about him. We actually read more about Peter in the Bible than any other apostle. We, we see some general things about him. He's, he's the one that is named first in the lists. There's a, an aspect of his prominence. He's first in every list of the apostles. He's the first one named. Where his, his brother Andrew, the early church, uh, gave him the designation of being the first called, Peter is the first named. And as we were looking at this, I showed you the, uh, the passages. But in every one of these passages where we have the list of the apostles, Peter's name comes first. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, it specifically states the first Simon, who is called Peter. The idea there is he's the first, he's the foremost. And so in each of the groups that is given, he is listed first. We mentioned there are, are three groups of four, and they're divided this way. Simon Peter is always named first of all the apostles and obviously then first in that first group. Philip is named first in the second group. And James, the son of Alphaeus, is named first in the third group. 
And so there, there's a similarity in there. And it's, it's also note, noteworthy that Judas is always named last. And he's designated, he's distinguished as the traitor, the one who betrayed Christ. Now, Simon's name was popular. That was a popular name at that time. There, there are actually nine different Simons mentioned in the New Testament, seven of them in the Gospels. And you'll notice that there are actually two of them that were apostles. And, and so we have two of them that, that are named this way. One, also, Christ's half-brother, Jesus' half-brother, was named Simon, one of them. So we, we see that Simon the Zealot, Simon Peter are the, the apostles. There's also two Judases, if you look at that list. Judas the, of James and Judas the traitor. But it's interesting because Simon's name actually seems to have two distinct uses. I, I mentioned that we, we find him more than any other. And the, the Holy Spirit intends that we read about Peter frequently. That we will come in, into con contact with his life. But it's interesting to see how his name is used. Simon is often used in the context of really his secular life. And sometimes when he's resisting Christ. We, we read of Simon's house, Simon's wife's mother, Simon's boat, Simon's partners. When he's displaying sinful or selfish characteristics, and we're going to see that in a moment here in Luke 5, in, in verse 5, where that's the name that is used. When Jesus foretold of his betrayal in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. He said, Simon, understand, Satan is going to take you and shake you. But I have prayed for you. But he's using that, that name. When there's that more spiritual response, we see the more rock-like characteristics. So when, when Andrew brings his brother to Jesus, and Jesus says that he would call him Peter, Cephas, the rock. Simon, Cephas, rock, in that verse as we have looked at, we see all three of those, those names. When it's that new name, when he surrenders, and we're going to see this in a, a little bit here in Luke chapter 5, as he kneels at the, at the feet of Jesus or as he's at the knees of Jesus, then it's Simon Peter. And so it's interesting to track that as you read. We, we see in John's gospel, John is usually referring to him as Simon Peter. His, his partner in fishing, his friend, that's how he, he identifies him. As we, we mentioned when we talked about Andrew, uh, their father was Jonas. So uh, Andrew, Peter's brother, and Simon, son of Jonas, or Jonah, John would be the common name. It would be Simon, John's son, or in our Anglican terms, Simon Johnson. And that really would be the, the name. But we see that the Holy Spirit wants us to interact with him. Nobody else is mentioned more in the Gospels than, P, uh, than Peter other than Jesus. No one speaks more often than Peter. And no one is spoken to as often as Peter by the Lord. Some of it's praise, some of it's blame. But as you read through, you find these aspects. His, Peter is named over 175 times in the New Testament. So 
well, we're only going to do one evening on him. You could do a whole series in looking into his life. A hundred of those times are in the Gospels. No disciple is rebuked as frequently and no other disciple rebukes Christ like Peter does. So he's a man of contrast. But he also displayed natural leadership. And that leadership had to be tempered. He's the spokesman for the group. That's part of why he's named the first. That's the first Simon. Because he tends to be the natural leader, the chief, the foremost, the spokesman. Uh, He has leadership ability. But our Lord is going to mold that. He's going to adjust it. The Lord is continually working on Peter, allowing him to see his failures and his frailty. Peter would have tremendous external success. He will preach at Pentecost a sermon that's 531 words and is so piercing and so bold that blatant men come, those who have crucified Christ, come saying, what should we do? They interrupt the sermon crying out, what should we do? And 3,000 are saved that day. He preaches the first sermon to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. It takes a special kind of person to see those kinds of successes and not be proud. And that's because of the Lord's molding and humbling him and really touching him at the point of his strength. He had a number of natural characteristics. Peter was a a person who was inquisitive. He asks questions, and he's willing to ask. He asks more questions than any other apostle. He's the one who asked the meaning of the parables in Luke chapter 12, verse 41. He asked for clarifications and explanations that probably most of us would hesitate to ask, but we'd kind of like to know. I mean, he's the one who asked in Matthew 18, 21, so Lord, how many times do I have to forgive? I mean, good question. And he says, you know, how about seven? And he's being generous because the rabbi said three. So, so Peter said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty generous here. He's the one who asked that question. He's the one who asked about rewards for following Christ in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. He was a man who was hungry for answers. His questions were sincere. And when a person asks the right questions and they're sincere, that's a person who's growing. That's a person who's developing. He, that's the type of person who develops into a problem solver. There's an enthusiasm. So, so he was a person who was inquisitive, but he also showed initiative. Not only was he willing to ask, he was willing to act. I mean, he's first to ask, he's first to act. I mean, Peter was a self-starter. He was a person who wanted things to happen. Do you remember when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And, And Peter immediately jumps in and gives the answer. When Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. I wonder how many of the other disciples were still calculating. Okay, how should we answer this? You know, they're checking the answers on their test and and Peter's already handed in his paper. He's done. He showed that kind of initiative. Remember the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when Judas is betraying the Lord and bringing the Roman soldiers and they're coming and, and they're coming out carrying swords and clubs and John 18 mentions that there was a Roman cohort that was coming. Now a cohort 
could be up to 600 soldiers. It's, I don't know that they had that many, but there's a significant number. They're, they're not going to allow for any uprising. They don't want any problems. And so you've got a number of battle-ready Roman soldiers coming to the garden at night. And what does Peter do? He pulls out his sword and takes off the ear of the, the high priest's servant, a man named Malchus. You know, that's, you know, he may not have been the greatest swordsman, but he was willing to fight. He was going to defend the Lord. If you had asked him, okay, now, Peter, how, is, how do you see this working out? I don't think he had thought that far. But he was going to do something. I mean, you've got, a, you've got the potential of hundreds of real warriors, and here's Peter swinging his sword. He's willing to get involved. There was initiative. I don't think he was looking at the big picture, but you can't, you know, we, we can question his wisdom, but we cannot question his zeal. He was willing to stand for the Lord. He looked for something to happen, and, and he was trying to solve problems. You know, it, it's easy to find problems. It's something different to solve them. He showed that initiative. And then the third thing that we see as well in his characteristics is there is a spiritual receptiveness and responsiveness to Peter. He was willing to confess his sins. He wants to be near the Lord. He has a heart for the Lord. There, there's a, there is a passion for the Lord. So if you remember in, in Matthew 14, when the, the disciples are out in the boat, the Lord had sent them across, and the storm comes up at that night again, and there's this, this violent storm, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water. And it's Peter that says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I mean, this is a fisherman. He knew the danger of the sea, but he's still willing to step out of the boat to be with Jesus. There's a spiritual responsiveness. There's a receptiveness here that, that comes, and then there's that, con, that responsiveness when he's convicted of his sin. I've had you turn to Luke chapter 5 because I want us to look at this situation this evening because I think this is really a key picture into the life of Peter of how the Lord is molding him. I mean, it, it takes place at, in, in Peter's hometown area. It's on the Sea of Galilee. He grew up there. It's really a lesson that he's going to have in fishing. But he's going to become a fisher of men. And we see that in the first 11 verses. Now, now Peter was born in Bethsaida. It's a Greek village near the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's not far from Capernaum. The Sea of Galilee is a beautiful sea. This is a, a couple of pictures from when we were just there. Uh, he lived in Capernaum where the number one industry was fishing. And so it's, it's a, a sea. And so we see that in Mark chapter 1. They came to Capernaum, immediately entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And then it says later in that same chapter, when they leave the synagogue, they go to Simon's house, the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So the, the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Kinrith is how it's worded in Joshua 13, Sea of Tiberias in John chapter 6, verse 1. All of these are describing the same body of water. As you read through Scripture, you'll find different names, but they all refer to this body of water. It's a, a freshwater lake. It's not real large, but it's very beautiful. It's situated about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. The water is, is a deep blue, and they made their living on the sea, fishing. 
This is one of the boats the boat that we went out in. Theirs probably was not this big. If you've been there, you see the boat they, that they found from the first century. It's not nearly this large. But the opening verses of chapter 5 of Luke paint the picture of a commercial fishing industry. I, I spent two summers commercial fishing in Alaska after I, I was out of college. And so I, I enjoy this story. But it also gives me a different perspective on a couple of things. Look at verse 1. And look at what's taking place in in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, same, same body of water, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from land And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, around the Sea of Galilee, it would be like an amphitheater. You've got the the smooth pebbles of the beach, and then you've got hills going up. And so you could find areas where people could sit, and it would be a natural amphitheater. And by being in the boat, the, the, the sound is going to carry. And, and, you know, it would, if, if we were to go there, it would be a great place for a Bible conference. You could relax and enjoy it. But that was not the situation for, for Peter that evening. He's been fishing all day. I mean, his situation's a little bit different. He's tired and worn down. I mean, they, they've been working. They've, they've been fishing all night. It's daytime. Now they're cleaning the nets. And, and, and it, we find they caught nothing that night. So they've had no success, he's had no sleep, and he still has to clean the nets. There were two jobs that I just really did not enjoy when I was fishing, mending the nets and cleaning the nets. So when I read about the disciples mending their nets and Jesus says, follow me, I get it. Man, I'm out of here. I mean, it's a tedious, and, and cleaning nets is a dirty job. You're trying to get the silt, the seaweed, the, the sand off of them, and you need to do it before they dry because then it's really a mess. And, but it, it's just not enjoyable. And so that's their job after catching no fish, and now Jesus has asked to sit down in their boat, in Peter's boat. And so it's not a convenient time. This is inconvenient for him. And, and yet they're, they're sitting in the boat and now Jesus is, is speaking, he's preaching, he's teaching and, and now we're going to see something else that's going to happen but I want us to see that it, the area of fishing was an area of familiarity and strength for Peter. I mean, this is his turf. This is his lake. He knows this area. And, and to understand, and so Jesus is teaching, but there's a bigger purpose in this story. Because it's not a coincidence that Peter hadn't caught any fish, and Jesus shows up that morning and uses Peter's boat for, for teaching, and then tells him to push out and into the sea, because there's a lesson for this one man. And so notice Christ's request in verse 4. And when he had stopped speaking... He said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Notice Peter's response in verse 5. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, Jesus really wasn't offering a suggestion. He's giving direction. 
But Peter's, this is what Peter knows. He's the fisherman. He knows this lake. He knows that you're not going to catch, if you haven't caught anything at night, you're definitely not catching it during the day. I think his words betray a hesitation, an unwillingness, even a, a level of irritation or frustration. Master, teacher, I, I know this, but we've already done it. We didn't catch anything. And, and fishermen don't like to be asked how it's going if they don't catch anything. And now to say, let's do it again, after he's just cleaned the nets, it's like, I haven't had any sleep. And so notice what takes place in verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, what took place was the catch of a lifetime. They, you would think that Peter would have been elated. They caught so many fish, their boat is starting to sink. Now they have to call for the other boat to help them because there is so, there's such a large catch. But that was not his response. His response was totally different, and I think we see some reasons for that. The first one is there's a new awareness. If you notice the change of terminology in verse 5, Peter said, Master, we've fished all night. Now in verse 8 he says, Lord. He sees Jesus in a different light. Peter's the one who thought he knew the sea. He was being respectful. But he said, this is my area. I know fishing. I know when we do it and how to do it, and this is not the time. And he had failed at fishing. And now with Jesus, he has success. There's a new awareness of who Christ is. There's a humbling that takes place. Peter is being impressed with his humanness. Jesus has touched the very point of his strength. The one thing that Peter thought he knew that he could handle was fishing. And now Jesus has poked that area. He was overwhelmed, he was exhausted, and now he is aware in a whole new way of who Jesus is. Now, I think there's a wonderful lesson for us that our faith comes easily when we know the one who calls us. If Peter had really listened to what Jesus said, he said, let down your nets for a catch. He said, let's go fishing. And Jesus didn't say, let's go fishing and maybe we could catch something. He said, no, let's let down the net for the catch. Peter's response was, we've, we've toiled all night and we didn't catch anything. Well, Jesus wasn't talking about last night. He's talking about now. And when Peter came to that realization, it makes it much easier to have that faith. But it's a humbling that took place, which I think is part of why we don't see an arrogance in Peter when he preaches at Pentecost. Third thing we see, though, in his response is a fear. Peter recognized his sinfulness. He was aware in a, total, a whole new way of what had taken place. In fact, if, if you look even down a little bit further, it says in verse, verse 9, after he kneels down, it says in verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were the partners with Simon. 
And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Don't be afraid. Peter was fearful. That was one of his responses because he, he understands now the greatness of God. He recognizes his sinfulness. And we see that in his response. He, he realizes who Jesus is at a different level. And he sees his sinfulness. He doesn't just confess, wow, Lord, you are so great. You pulled fish out of the, the, the sea when we couldn't. No, he focuses on his sinfulness. This is an amazing scene. Here is Peter kneeling down in all the slime and fish. I mean, their, their boat is filled and he is at the knees of Jesus in, in, with all these slimy fish encircling him and realizing the greatness of Christ, understanding what has taken place. There's that confession. This is why I said it, it isn't a quiet confession. As he sees what has taken place and as he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I think there are some applications that we can see in, in his surrender as well. He surrendered in that point that the point of his strength, the Lord has touched and overwhelmed Peter with his own mastery of all. Peter thought, okay, he's a great teacher, but I know the sea, and now he's learned Jesus is Lord of the sea. And he's been touched at that point, and there's some applications in realizing, you know, what took place was not convenient. Serving the Lord is not always convenient. And yet when we're called to serve, when we're asked to minister, to understand that the Lord's command carries his promise. Let down the nets for a catch. Lord, we didn't catch anything. But since you've asked, since you've said it, I'll let down a net. And they got the catch of a lifetime. But we also see with Peter that there's a lesson that we can learn that there are times that following Christ means forsaking, forsaking certain things. The boats began to sink. Peter fell at Jesus' knees. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. The others see this. And, and, they, and so Peter is basically saying, Lord, when we go to shore, you go your way and I'm going to go mine because I am a sinful man. This is not a, oh, Lord, I want to follow you. He said, he's saying, Lord, depart. I don't, I don't think that was a statement of unwillingness. I, I think he, he was saying, I am unworthy. It's not unwilling, it's unworthy. Lord, I, this was what I thought I could do. This was the one thing I, I thought I had. And now he's being told to, to that. And so verse 10, Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And then verse 11, and so when they had brought the boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. There is that forsaking that comes. And, and the Lord doesn't call everybody to that. But when we're following the Lord, there are going to be things that we give up. We had our business meeting this evening and the graciousness, the generosity, the faithfulness of our church family is, is encouraging. But you know what, what we give to the Lord, our world could spend on a lot of other things. It, it's, a, it's a means, look, I'm willing to trust the Lord. I'm willing to forsake. I'm willing to do that with our time, the fact that we're here this evening and recognizing that. 
And understand that Peter is going to be called and the Lord says to him and that, that he will now be a fisher of men. That that's what's, you know, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You're going to continue to fish. But there's going to be a spiritual result and value to this. And God doesn't call everyone to leave their occupation like he did Peter. But he does call all of us to follow him. To serve him wherever he would have us. You know, somebody has said that your job is what you are paid to do. Your calling is what you are made to do. And each one of us has a calling from God. That's part of what we're looking at on Sunday mornings is, is the giftedness and the opportunity, but looking for those, those opportunities of serving the Lord. Here is Peter at the point of his strength. The thing that he knew, the fishing. And, and if you remember, as we see that final scene in the Gospels of Peter, after he denies the Lord, where does he go? goes back to fishing. He, he said, I will never deny you, Lord. These, these other guys, I'm not so sure about them. He said, they may deny you, but I won't. And the Lord says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And after the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, we find Peter fishing again. The point of his strength. And again, the Lord comes to the shore, calls out, have you caught anything? And put your net on the other side. And they, they catch fish. And Peter realizes then who it is. What does he do? He jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. He wants to be with Jesus. We're familiar with the story. He's denied three times. So three times the Lord asked Peter, do you love me? And if you're familiar, you've heard the preaching on it, the different Greek words. The, Jesus says, Peter, do you, and he uses that, that, the highest level, that agape. And Peter no longer has that self-confidence. He said, well, Lord, you know that. And he said, I have that brotherly love for you. And the Lord asks again, Peter, do you, do you agape? Do you love me? And Peter, I, I have a love for you, but it's a friendship. And then Lord, Lord asks, Peter, do you love me as a friend? And Peter is grieved. Three times he denied. Three times now he states his love. And we see that restoration, that reconciliation that takes place. And now he will be empowered because he's no longer self-confident. But throughout his life, he was always a man of passion. He wasn't a rock at the beginning. But he became that rock with the molding of the master. And that's really what we see. Are we willing to allow the Lord to mold us, to bring pressures, to touch us at the points where we think we've got it together? And how often does that happen? Where something happens and what we thought was our strength, the, it, the rug is pulled out from under us and we have to trust the Lord. Do we love him? Then we too can be fishers of men. We can help in, in encouraging one another because we all have a calling from God. So are you fulfilling that calling? Are we striving to be faithful? Are we being molded by the Master? Let's pray together as we conclude.